cliffcentral.com. Dallas on cliffcentral.com. How you doing out there? San Monanonke! Thank you to G-Man and the crew coming back at you tomorrow, 6 to 9. Hello, my name is Andrew Levy. Welcome to the show. It's Frankly Speaking for the next hour. I am flying solo. Rorisang Shavalala is somewhere in the country, and uh, he unfortunately can't make it to studio today. So it is all me, which is, you know, it's kind of scary being in this little box uh, again. I, it, it's been a while since I've been alone, but uh, we'll keep you company for the entire hour. We're talking a little bit about mental illness today, um, Frankly Speaking. Is South Africa a society suffering from mental illness? You all saw the headlines last week. The health ombudsman released a report last week speaking about the tragedy and atrocity of life. Uh, S.E. Demeni, patients who were moved to the NGOs across Gauteng, 94 mentally ill patients died in the space of 271 days. That is absolutely nuts. They They died needlessly, prematurely, and as the health ombuds report puts it, they all died silently. The report quotes uh, a beautiful quote by Alfred Tennyson, the charge of the light brigade, and says, There's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to, die, to do and die. It's, it's uh, absolutely incredible. If you, if you have read the 56-page long report of the health uh, ombuds, Professor Malukhapuri Mahoba, it's a devastating and ugly read um, for not only the people in charge, but for all of South Africa. Um, the Gauteng uh, Health uh, Department apparently wanted to decommission and deinstitutionalize 2,000 mentally ill patients at Life SE Domeni and uh, moved them and distributed them across 27 NGOs, most of which were illegal institutions. So we have Claydani Dorothy Matlangu, uh, Diego Epram Celebano, and Dr. Mahabo Manamela to uh, thank for all of this. Um, it was an incredibly, incredibly sad week for a lot of people and a lot of South Africans. And it was interesting watching this in the news as it went uh, viral and as the news headlines became more and more devastating as we found out more. But incredible how many South Africans face or know of someone facing mental illness. It is a huge, huge problem in South Africa. And we wanted to discuss it from a lived experience, a personal experience perspective. You saw the headlines. You you heard about uh, how many people died. Um, you've heard about the names of the NGOs. But really getting underneath uh, the issues, underneath them, speaking to people living with mental illness. And uh, we've got some people that are going to be speaking to us today uh, about their mental illness, about what it's like, about the moments between, through, and after living with mental illness and also going and being institutionalized. Um, so I must be honest, this is a subject that is quite raw for me. It is um, very interesting, but also very new. So if I do make mistakes, please correct me. If I do say something a little bit off off bounds or out of target, please come back at me. Uh, we're on WeChat at cliffcentral.com. We're also on WhatsApp 0797482090 and you can hook up hook us up on you see this is the problem when you have it, when you buy yourself you get scared and your tongue gets Tied. You can hook us up on Twitter as well at yebo underscore levy. We're on Twitter. We want to hear from you. Have you been suffering with mental illness? Do you know of someone who has? What was your story? What is your story? Um, let us know and and please be as as honest and open as you can. We'd love to hear from you uh, on this incredibly interesting show. We've got uh, our first guest, Karabo Khaoleng. 
She's the correspondence officer uh, for the office of vice chancellor of the University of Witwatersrand. Uh, she is also a media personality, a literary personality, loves books, loves everything to do with reading, and also has uh, or is suffering from bipolar disease. Uh, Karabo, good morning to you. Hi, Andrew. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time. You are an inspiration to me specifically because uh, we've known each other a little while now and you've always just been on top of your game, speaking your truth on, on a number of different issues. Um, but uh, mental illness is one that's quite close to your heart. Yeah, I mean, we hung out and then I hit the wall and ended up at Helen Joseph, <laughs> which is kind of what happened. And that's how we lost touch. But um, look... For me, mental illness is something that was in my family. My uncle um, suffered from a long time. He was a jazz musician, and uh, he had a kind of mild form of schizophrenia, but because it was the 50s and the 60s and, and all kinds of dodgy things happening with sort of, you know, um, trials and tests on black people by the state, so he went through a lot of, you know, treatments that kind of made him worse. Mm-hmm. He ended up dying alone in a home, and... Um, his 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 illness was a great source of shame um, in my family. So he was one of you know he was he was the hidden guy. But I had a very special relationship with him because I don't know from a very early age I kind of got the fact that I didn't experience the world the same way as people around me. Um, and you know so so that's you know that was my first kind of encounter with mental illness it was incredibly um it was incredibly intimate it was my family but because of the stigma it's, you know it's it was one of those things you know we don't talk about it um and when i first when i had my first kind of um psychotic break i wouldn't like to use that word but that's that's it's commonly used i was in my late teens okay and you know, from then, it's just been a really long, hard battle. Um, because specifically with bipolar, um, you know, I was sort of a super achiever. And then, you know, I'd go on for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, on top of my game, mm. really excited, you know, producing a lot of work, doing really well. And then, you know, it would hit the crash where I'd be depressed for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that's, you know, that's when I was first put on medication. And this kind of carried on through my 20s, except I didn't stay the course with my medication. And I started feeling better. I thought, ah, you know. Um, and with the controversy not, yeah. around meds, yeah, and with controversy around psychiatric meds, you know, everybody's got an opinion. Mm. Uh, there are different modalities of healing with, you know, you should pursue the life of a, of a spiritual healer or sangoma or you should pray or join Scientology or, you know, and <laughs> seriously. So I, I went through all of these things and life changes. And, you know, life, life comes with its stresses. And um, when, you, when you do have a mental illness, it, it, it tends to get exacerbated by that. Mm. So um, I did really well in my career, but obviously um, it's also a, a kind of lonely path. And one day I woke up and I stayed in bed. Um, I didn't get out of bed. A friend came to visit me. Um, she saw that I was in a really sort of dark, dark, dark space. So mm. that's how I was admitted into Helen Joseph, um, into the psychiatric ward. Tell me a little and bit about that dark space, if you can. How, how would you describe it for someone who hasn't gone through the process or someone who might be dealing with it, but as you say, doesn't want to, to, to live the labels or doesn't know what the labels are? How would you describe that feeling? 
Well, the thing is, with um, a lot of untreated uh, mental illnesses, uh, well, first, you know, just to give you, you know, one stat is that um, up to about a third of people will experience some form of mental illness in their life. And it's usually, you know, a major depressive disorder or a period of anxiety that comes with life stresses. And life is hard and, and we live in difficult times. Um, but when, 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 I was, when I was in that dark space, I, I literally... Um, how I lost my job is that after my first break, I had a second one, and I, I literally I didn't get out of bed for three weeks. Wow! And then um, I I got a little bit of treatment, and I went back to my place, and then I didn't get out of bed. I didn't leave the house for four months except to like buy loo paper. My goodness! You know, I didn't, I didn't clean the house. The bank came and collected my car. I didn't contact anyone. Um, and, you know, when you're on your own, that's when, you know, you start to, to get those thoughts, you know, some, well, you know, I think I've done everything I can. Um, let me check out. And that's, you know, and, and the dark space kind of, it encroaches slowly, you know, mm. the typical thing, you know, you stop, you stop enjoying the things that you used to enjoy. Um, in 2013, I read three books in the whole year. <laughs> I used to read three books a week. Wow. You know, um, you just... You just lose passion for everything, and it's not something that you can just shake off. And and that's the thing. The underlying, you know, one of the major symptoms of an, of, of a mental illness when it's not being treated is depression. Unless you have a really severe mental illness, like like schizophrenia, mm. you know, um, that makes life incredibly unmanageable, even for the people around you. Then you need a situation like with the people who passed away at Life ACD Many, where they have to be institutionalized to manage their condition because they. they they really can't cope in the world. Well, let's just talk you about know? that for one second, Krabo. I mean, someone, you know, and and would you would you call it mental illness? Would you call it a mental condition? Help me with the language here. Well, look, it, uh, with, with with bipolar, I, I'd call it um, an, an acute mental. It, it is a mental illness. It's an acute mental illness, mm. which means that it's manageable with the right course of treatment. I can't party as much as I used to, you know, so I'm a lifelong recovering rock star because it does make things worse. <laughs> um, and, you know, it requires a team. Um, I mean, in my, in my case, you know, I, I have a psychiatrist and I have a psychologist and I have, you know, my GP who who makes sure that other parts of, of my body are sort of working okay because mm. it does change with, with age and with time and, you know, hormonal changes, myself being a woman, you know, being in a specific, you know, stage in my life where there are these changes that happen that you need, you need to monitor it. So mm. it's not like, you, you know, you, you, you get put on a course of medication and you're going to take exactly the same amount of exactly the same drugs for the rest of your life. Mm. Some people can have that happen, but you, you do need a team of people that looks after you. And that that's when it becomes problematic. Um, you know, mental health is, 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 is so neglected in South Africa, especially in the public health care system. Right. And that's where people lose out the most. Mm. You know, um, if you can imagine the kind of stigma there is, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a highly educated, no, you know, um, well, you know, knowledgeable person. But 
there's so much, it's such a cloudy space that a lot of people who otherwise are knowledgeable get confused around the issue of mental illness because it, it, it still is stigmatized. And it's stigmatized to the point of, you know, when you talk about the soccer moms who are neurotic and they take their Xanax with the white wine. And, and that's, that's kind of, it's also a dangerous stereotype to, to, to deal with, you know. Um, so I'd say, you know, those of us who do live, who have our mental, who have our mental illness under control, you know, we're incredibly lucky. And, and one of the unfair things about it is that when you, when you are symptomatic, it's very difficult for you to have the presence of mind to go and seek help. And that's where the danger lies. Yeah. You know, that's why it's important to have people around you who care because it's also, it, it, it presents in, in behavior. Well, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting you say that you're, you're too kind, saying I'm highly educated, but I'm, I feel very uneducated in this space. I put something out on Facebook a, a couple of days ago, and uh, I got the wrath of a lot of people who've gone through some kind of um, mental illness and who are dealing with mental illness, um, just correcting me on all levels. So I felt very undergunned with that. If you've just joined the conversation, we're speaking to Karabo Khaoleng. She's the correspondence officer and uh, of the office of the vice chancellor of uh, Vits. She's also a media don't say that too much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You see, because the stigma. You see the stigma. You see. But you know something that's interesting for me, Garab, and I wanted to get your, you know, your um, reactions on it. I mean, last week must have been very difficult for you, uh, reading all the papers and reading about all these different um, atrocities that were going on. But uh, one of the things was the Gauteng Health Department said that one of their strategies was the deinstitutionalization of patients. Now, you mentioned it earlier, but certain, you know, mental illness is such a big and loaded term. But I mean, there's so many things that fit underneath that from, from substance abuse to schizophrenia. There's a wide range of things. Do you think that it was right of the Gauteng Health Department to even think that they could deinstitutionalize patients? Certain people need real help. I, I think that you, you cannot deinstitutionalize somebody with a chronic mental illness uh, because you do need you do need very highly specialized care. You know, if that was the case, then they could simply live at home. You know, if, if it was the case that, you know, you can deinstitutionalize people with with chronic mental illness, you know, you educate the family. You say, okay, this is how, you know, this is how you manage it. And, and there are situations like that. Like, um, when I became, I went on to become an outpatient at, um, I was at Helen Joseph, then I was at the Joburg Jane. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because I couldn't work for a while, you know, you do get to qualify for a disability grant. Right. And, um, whoever your carer is at home, um, the, the, the psychiatric nurses at Joburg Jen, who are wonderful. I mean, I can't, I can't sing Joburg Jen's praises. Charlotte Matlake, sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't sing their, their praises enough. But they're the ones who teach your carer, be it, you know, your partner, your sister, whoever you live with, to, to look after you. And then they also help you as, as, a, as a sufferer from that condition mm. to do small things. Like, you know, just get out of bed every day, uh, brush your teeth, uh, take a walk around the house. Um, you know, try, try, try and help out in the house. If it means that, you know, you start washing the dishes and two plates in, you fall apart, that's fine. You mm, try. Mm, small mm, steps. Mm. 
but with with chronic mental illnesses um if it was the case that people at home could look after the the, the sufferer then that then you you're sorted with the deinstitutionalization but yeah. we live in a society a where families are fractured you know we, we don't know how to look after ourselves as south africans right. um you look at you know our levels of substance abuse and violence and all of that and the second thing is that uh, you do need highly specialized care. And we simply don't have that. It's not seen as a priority. Um, you've got a handful of psychiatrists who are looking after the entire province. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it, there, is, there is absolutely no way that those individuals could have been deinstitutionalized. Absolutely none whatsoever. You know, so, I mean, it was, it was, yeah. And the thing is, they, they didn't die from their mental illnesses. Yeah, well, they died the from neglect. They died from hunger. I mean, gosh, if, if there's one way not to die, it's probably from hunger, right? I mean, jeepers. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, mm. you, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point ar- around family and carers. What was your experience as, you know, a black woman in South Africa dealing with this issue? How, how did your family, how did your friends, how did your partner deal with, uh, with your, your illness? Well, there's no partner because who wants to deal with a bipolar chick? When she's awesome, she's awesome. But when she's when the bottom's fallen out, you don't want to be around her, right? right. Um, and also because because the condition that presents behaviorally, it's um, you don't know whether I'm, I'm just being a horrible human being or whether I'm sick. Mm-hmm. So you know, with friends. Like I say, you know, when, when I'd been a manic, uh, you know, in a manic space, um, I'm, I'm a lot of fun, you know, full of energy. And then when, when I go down, I completely shut down. And also because of the nature of my work, um, I do have, a, you know, a, a, subs- a substantial public life, but I don't have much of a personal life. So it was, a, it was a matter of, you know, I was living separated from my child and I'd come home and it would be, you know, to an empty dark flat. Mm. Um, so I didn't have that kind of support. Unfortunately, um, with my family as well. I mean, my my dad's whole thing was, um, you need to uh, you need to confess your sins to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, and then it will be lifted from you. Mm. You know, um, on my mom's side, it was just take your medication, and like I say, it's not something that you can just fix with medication. So it yeah. was a really long, hard road for me. Um, fortunately, you know, I have you know, have one or two friends who who kind of tried to sort of stay the course, and they did. And I think they also learned a lot about it, where they realized that, sure, you know, it's it's not an easy thing, you know. But, like, you know, I've done things now. You know, I've got a stable job that has medical aid, because without medical aid, because it's, it's an expensive condition to manage. Well, uh, because the good drugs are expensive. That's the other know? thing. I mean, it is an incredibly expensive, uh, expensive uh, thing to manage and, and a lot of us, you know, like it was interesting. I, I read an article and saw this amazing photojournalist, uh, Tsoko Maela, who's a visual artist mm-hmm. who, um, who basically did this amazing piece of work around, um, his own mental illness. And he's, he talks about growing up in a black community. You quickly learn that there's a list of problems that do not affect black people. Mentally ill, you're bewitched or simply you, you've studied too hard. Depressed, lighten up. You've been watching too many of those white teen movies. 
psychologist. Seeing a psychologist, yeah. you're weak and you should stop. Um, that before the neighbors find out. I mean, these, the, the stigmatization in, in Western society is, is quite crazy, but amongst black communities, it's, there's definitely something more. It says, you know, people will be like, ah, oh, or de- demonic possession. We can just, uh, we can just rid it of you. You know, it's, it's, it's quite a, it's quite an intense thing from a community perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely, with, especially with the, you know. There was the no question of, there, actually. I don't even know what I was saying. I just kind of blabbered out a whole bunch of stuff because I'm really. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, you're, you're making a comment and an observation, so I can respond to that. Um, I, I remember a specific, um, in my late teens, I started cutting myself. Mm. And, um, and, you know, with this, the sort of breakdown, you know, I was, I was mildly bulimic and oh, all of that stuff. And my mom was like, Oh, so we send you to white school so that you can pick up sort of white girls, white you know, diseases. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> and and so yeah, there, there is that that stigma. But you know, there are spaces where people are starting to understand, or at least, if not understand, have they have to confront it. And I think that's you know, I find that. Well, I've given myself sort of that task in society, although I'm not sort of making myself the poster child. But, mm. you know, people who meet me have to confront the fact that, okay, um, this is how I am. And at the same time, you know, people don't have to disclose. But fortunately, I've got a great employer. And, you know, be- because of that, I don't have as many wobbly days as I did in yes. the beginning, yeah. you know, where I can actually, I mean, I've come such a long way. I cannot believe that I could actually get out of bed and not be terrified. Mm. Oh, you know? I mean, yeah, what an interesting perspective. We're talking to Karabo Khaoleng about uh, mental illness and her um, a mental illness of bipolar. Karabo, you mentioned a little earlier, I just want to pick up on it. You said you, you have a child that you're not living with. How does, how does that feel and, and how does, what's it like to, to raise a child with this mental illness? Well, I got my baby back. <laughs> so that was because you know it, it it reached a point you know when from when I was first institutionalized to the point where I attempted suicide and it was it was very serious because I had to be resuscitated my heart stopped several times and wow I think that's also when my family you know also realized that part of the sense of you know disconnection is that I don't have my kid around me mm-hmm. and uh, fortunately, again, you know, with the right carers and encouragement, um, I'm able to raise my my daughter. I mean, she's well adjusted. She's chirpy. She's, you know, she she's not she's not really phased because I do have it under under control. And when I'm having a low day, you know, I tell her I'm having a low day. And, um, you know, she's, look, I, I go for therapy every week. <laughs> so, you know, I think I could do a lot worse. But it's manageable. Look, I'm raising her on my own, but, you know, I, I acknowledge it when, when I'm not feeling too great. And I've learned to take it easy, you know. So a lot of it is about mindfulness. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, it is amazing to say that I'm fine. Mm. You know, I do have my bumpy, I have my bumpy couple of weeks, but because I have it manageable. And they do make amazing medication nowadays. But again, it's a socioeconomic thing. Mm. You know, um, I'm able to have the best care. And as a result of that, I can still be creative. I can still have fun. You know, I sleep properly. I manage my weight. I'm present in the world. Whereas with the kind of meds that they dispense at state hospitals, you know, you're a zombie. You know, you, you puff up and, 
you know, and, and that's when, you know, the, the class thing comes in and dealing with Big Pharma. I think that's where, you know, a, a lot of people who can't help the fact that they don't have economic access, yes. they, they end up, you know, not being able to live productive lives, which is really sad because if you look at the list of people with bipolar, we're actually quite an awesome, intelligent bunch of people. <laughs> are, 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 there, are there support groups? Like, do you do you meet? Is there are there are there things online? I suppose social media is pretty good for that, right? Yeah, there are spaces. Like, for example, with the South African uh, Depression and Anxiety Group, um, through them you can uh, you can you can join or even form your own support group. Um, so you know they provide that kind of resource. I think the best place to start, though, um, you know, if people don't know what to do, is show up at a hospital. And, you know, for example, um, I don't think a lot of people know this, but if you are feeling suicidal, um, you can present yourself a casualty at a hospital and say, you know, I want to kill myself. And because it is an emergency and they can check you in. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, you... You, it's not nice. I mean, you know, I'd have to show up at Joburg Jane at 4.30 in the morning. You know, everybody's sick. Uh, but you just, you know, you, you can you can actually manage, the, you know, uh, an, uh, an acute mental illness. You can manage it and have a decent productive life. You know, you really can. It's the chronic stuff that... That really, you know, that that's that's when it, it, it's tough, and it's tough on family members, you know. But having said that, you know, even even with a condition like bipolar, we do battle with relationships because, mm-hmm. you know, um, if you have a partner who's not willing to um, to learn about how to live with you, the same way, you know, you learn how to. Uh, live with a partner who has diabetes where you can tell, okay, you know, they're becoming hypoglycemic or they're not sleeping properly. It's been too long since dinner, you know, um, or someone with high blood pressure, any kind of condition. Mm. I think, you know, it's, it's not easy, but the, 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 the problem with mental illness is that it is behavioral and it can be very, very hurtful. So you need somebody who's really patient and very loving and, who can you know who's who's very aware and in the kind of world we live in i've accepted that it's a big ask so (laughs) you know yeah so i find other ways to you know to 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 reach out and to be around people you know you find community and stuff but in terms of intimate uh, partnerships i don't want to lie it's not easy Mm, i'm sure not it's interesting you speak about um, stigmatization of mental illness but there's also stigmatization of getting help you know it's one thing if you're schizophrenic and and you really you need help um and people around you are like you're you're either going to hurt yourself or someone else but but um you know for for a I want to, I'm using the wrong terminology, so help me here, but for a lesser mental illness, someone who's depressed, someone who, who feels that they, they can't be within themselves, um, sit within themselves, the idea of a psychologist is, is a very far removed, uh, thing for a lot of people in South Africa. We've got a very patriarchal, macho, machismo kind of society, both in white and black communities. Um, and it's quite different. There's a big stigma around actually getting help. Going to a psychologist is like, you're crazy. You're batshit mad. Yeah, and also, you know, popular culture doesn't help. You, know, you need your head read. Um, you know, it's it's something for people who are weak. You know, you need to pull up your socks. I think with getting help, you don't have to tell anyone. Mm. Just go. You know, just 
just go. I mean, these people are very, you know, they, they're highly trained. They work within, they're trained within the context of South African society. So they do know how to manage whatever feelings of, or misgivings you may have about that. But you don't have to tell anyone, mm. you know. If you're a guy, you know, just say you're going to the bar or something and make an appointment. <laughs> and the thing is, seriously, and, and the thing Wednesday is... Wednesday afternoon, do, I'm out. I'll see you around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking the, you know, I'm taking half day, you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to, you know, I need, I need a personal day to go play golf and then just go see a shrink in the meantime. What's and you, you know what you find, you find psychologists from across, you know, be, because, you know, our society has opened up and this is one space where we have transformed. You find psychologists from across backgrounds. So you can either find a psychologist who comes from a similar background as you or, or someone who's completely different. Mm-hmm. For me personally, and I don't mind talking about it, you yeah. know, um, psychologists, uh, you know, my long-term ones, and including the one that I have now, somehow Afrikaans girls get me. <laughs> you know, um, I'd find it, yeah, I'd, 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 I find it difficult, for, you know, for, uh, to deal with a psychologist who comes from a similar background than me because, um, as me, because I've got a lot of anxieties about, you know, my identity and my identity politics. Will she judge me, etc.? Mm, so I'd rather speak to someone who has, who, yeah, because also, you know, it's a learning opportunity. And I, and I think that they're able to step back better. But that's just me, you know, and it, you don't necessarily find, you know, a good psychologist for you with the first one because it is a therapeutic relationship. And relationship is the key word here. But go, just, just go, mm. you know. Just go find find um, it's what like six hundred and fifty rand, and we're talking about people with access here. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's the amount of money some people spend on a night out, especially people who have the data to be listening to Cliff Central. And just, <laughs> just go. Everyone needs a therapist you know? at some stage, that's for sure. Absolutely, that's true. We speak to Karabo Howling about, um, uh, frankly speaking, in South Africa, society suffering from mental illness and uh, mental illnesses as as uh, a plural because there are so many different ways. This is off the back of life, uh, S.E. Demani, um, patients dying in, uh, in their, their, their drones in 271 days. It's, 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 if not worse than the Marikana incident because of the fact that it was so silent, because of the fact that the voiceless just had no way of saying, hey, we need help, I need help. Um, absolute tragedy uh, in South Africa. It's, it's completely, it's, it's a crime, you know, it's yeah. a crime. And, you know, they're just, you know, shipping off patients. It's, yeah, I, I can't, I can't get my head around that. And also because, you know, they, they didn't give them their medication on time. It's, it's just absolute neglect. I, I can't, I really can't get my life, my head around that one. Um, but I think, you know, the, 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 the point of, of, you know, the focus is to make people aware that, you know, you, you do need to look after people. You know, I mean, it's about humanity. It's about love. You know, somebody, let me give you a different example. Let's right. say that your child is born with, you know, a serious congenital disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't grow arms and legs. Right. Or you have a, you have a situation where you give birth to, um, to, congenit- to, to co-joined twins that can't be separated. And they have to live a very, you know, difficult life. Like any other condition, you know. It's somebody that you love. It doesn't mean that you can, you know, you, you won't throw them away. You won't hide them from society. And if they do need to have a lot of institutional, you know, assistant care, it is inhumane to say that they are, they are you know, they, they're less of a priority than 
than, than someone with a condition that's more manageable. So, I mean, from, you know, from that perspective, I think it's completely unacceptable. I can't think of a, a reason that could even justify what they did by moving those patients to an mm. NGO. I think, you know, to, to NGOs that weren't even registered. I mean, it's just, it's deplorable. I, I really can't get my head around that. Well, let's just talk quickly. I know we're, we're running out of time with you and we need to let you go, but very quickly, you spoke about the fact that you went to Helen Joseph and Joburg Jen. A lot of uh, people, specifically young people who are suffering, um, might have seen the headlines last week and be like, well, you see, now there's absolutely no way that I'm going there because look what happens. Look what happens, you know. What was your experience of Helen Joseph and Joe Jen? Helen Joseph was, oh gosh, it was it was a nightmare. Uh, number one, they, they put us on one floor um, because there are security issues, you know, those are those mental um Psychiatric wards are manned by security. But with Helen Joseph, just to give you an example, and I don't want to scare people from getting help. I think that you do, you can get help. You know, you just, you have to, you have to fight for yourself. But we were put in a mixed ward, men and women, people suffering from varying, um, varying sort of types of mental illnesses. Mm. Um, Degrees, yeah. Yeah, varying degrees. Um, I had a roommate who who was paranoid schizophrenic, um, which was, it must have been really terrible for her, you know. Um, The only thing is that, you know, what was strange is that because we're all in it together, Mm -hmm. I know this sounds weird, but for us as people who were ill, it wasn't that scary, except mm. for the ones who would have um, who would have the terrors or whatever, and they'd be moved to a separate space. But when you are that ill, you actually do find solidarity with with your fellow patients uh, because you're all scared. Some people don't have visitors, you know. Others, you know, it's it's people suffering from you know dementia in their old age, mm. you know. So so you do find we we did become a bit of a family, you know. We're speaking to uh, Karabo Khaoleng uh, about her space in mental illness and, and her experiences of it. And uh, it's unfortunate that we had to uh, cut her short, but uh, you've got to check out the podcast, uh, cliffcentral.com forward slash frankly speaking. Have a listen if you just joined to her experiences. You can also follow her on Twitter at Karabo Khaoleng. K-G-O-L-E-N-G That's her surname Garabo is her first name um, If you are battling With some kind of Mental illness If you have questions She's very very vocal On uh, Twitter And uh, she'll definitely Be able to point you In the right direction She mentioned a NGO Called um, SADAG You just go to SADAG.org For more information There as well Very cool uh, Organization uh, They're doing Some very cool work And I think that's Probably one of the Sad things About last week's Headlines is that There are some NGOs and interest groups that are doing good things out there. Uh, Autism SA is another one that's doing really amazing things. Uh, And they get labeled, unfortunately, with the same or painted with the same brush. So it's a little bit unfortunate about that. We are now speaking more on a a societal level with uh, Dr. Yusuf Musa. Uh, He's a clinical psychiatrist and has extensive knowledge on the rise of mental illness and just how scary and prevalent this condition is in South Africa. Uh, Dr. Musa, good morning to you. Dr. Musa, are you there? Nope, not there yet. Um, interesting thought, though, um, about experiences uh, around mental illness and how, as family members, 
one deals with them uh, because it is such a big issue in families um, that don't have an experience of this, that don't have any education in this, to see a family just collapse into nothing on the floor or in their bedroom or whatever the case may be. And really, organizations like SADAG do a lot of good work. If you want more information, go check them out. They're really, really cool. And uh, hopefully we can uh, inspire some people that are listening to try and get some sort of help uh, for themselves or potentially someone they know. Dr. Yusuf Musa, good morning to you. You're now on the line. Hello. Good morning. Hey. Good morning to you. Morning to your listeners. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Very, very, very well, thank you. You, um, you, you published a really interesting article uh, last week uh, about the the illnesses, the mental illness conditions in South Africa, and just how much of a problem do we have in South Africa with mental illness? Um, you see, you, what needs to distinguish between you know, mental illness is a very broad uh, you know, group of disorders, and. Um, when we we can we must distinguish between what we call minor mental illness and serious mental illness. Now, when we come to minor mental illness, you know, which includes a whole lot of disorders like anxiety disorders and uh, some mood disorders like depression, etc., then they're fairly common. But when we get down to serious mental disorders, then they're not as common. <laughs> range between uh, 1% of the prevalence rate of about 1% of the population, uh, etc., you know? 1% seems like so, a, a very important figure in uh, the mental illness space. 1% of the health budget is spent on mental illness problems and programs. 1% of uh, youth are admitted, and only 1% are admitted, or adolescents are admitted into um, into hospitals. I mean, give us a sense from your your extensive experience, Dr. Musa, about as a society, how are we dealing with the the mental the different types of mental illness? Uh, I think we, we we're not adequately dealing with the uh, different types of mental illness, uh, purely because uh, I don't think we've got all the structures in place to deal with mental illness. You know, part of the uh, problem with mental illness is you want to prevent mental illness. You want to catch it fairly early so that you can prevent serious consequences. And then you want to treat those in the end who have, who have serious mental illness or require some form of intervention. Our focus seems to be rather more on the curative aspect. You know, we spend a fair amount of our resources in dealing with the very serious mental illness and not enough on preventative, promotive, and early detection. And I think that's where our focus is. And that's, again, it, you know, one would ask the question, well, who's responsible would that be? You know, and then it would be, you know, society in general. Uh, society needs to come in and, uh, you know, take measures to try and identify mental illness early on and get help with, uh, when it can be effective. And also, you know, the other departments, the, you know, in terms of education um, and other social departments to be on the lookout and to intervene when when it would be beneficial. If you if you're someone living with a, a disease or you you know someone living with a disease in let's say a um, under resourced community townships uh, rural communities in South Africa, I mean, how in heaven's name do you get help for that? 
that is part of the process. That, you know, help is available. You know, it's not that help is not available. Uh, one would say that there's not enough of help considering the large number of people uh, that might have mental illness and also considering the fact that uh, one needs to take into account the fact that people tend not to identify the mental illness early on until it is serious. Now, in terms of the, the townships, etc., you know, the, the avenue is if, if you identify someone with a mental illness is to take them to a healthcare facility. And then from there, there are uh, resources available, albeit uh, inadequate, but there are resources available for someone to get assistance and help. Doctor, I'm interested to hear your thoughts if, you, if you're listening and you've got children uh, potentially who are teenagers uh, or in that teenage space. Yeah. How do you differentiate between uh, uh, hormonal changes, mild depression and a serious problem that needs to be treated? Uh, it is difficult. It is difficult. But the point is that once you, you know, I mean, uh, parents would uh, pick up something that would be, you know, not normal in the kid or something which is abnormal, uh, something which is more than just what you thought was just a teenager. You get reports from perhaps the school to say that, you know, uh, uh, that he is not performing in school. Uh, and then one would have to then intervene. And if you just uh, joined us, we're speaking, yeah. frankly speaking, uh, talking about South Africa and our mental illness issues as a society. Dr. Musa, sorry, uh, please continue. You're speaking a little bit about the society issues in South Africa and how... Yeah, I was, I was saying that, yeah, yeah. Well, I was saying, you know, I mean, as, as, uh, as citizens, as parents, you know, we need to also look at, you know, what is our responsibility as parents. And then as society uh, to to say, well, you know, as parents to be aware of mental illness. Now one might turn and say, well, you know, how do, how do parents become aware of this? And I suppose that's where, you know, the Department of Health and, you know, other organizations in the process of educating people, you know, that these are, these are the signs of mental illness. These are the various things that parents need to be watched out. Schools need to make that more aware. We perhaps need to use the media that we have to educate, uh, you know, people more so that they can identify and then intervene early as possible or at least seek help if they think this is a problem. As a, as a clinical... Side. And I think you had that, sorry. Yes, sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry, please continue. No, I was just saying, I think I heard you talking earlier with like an organization such as SADAC and the mental health situation. I think that's where they play their role and do as much as they possibly can, you know, in educating people, uh, in doing uh, other, making resources available to people with mental illness. As a clinical psychiatrist, we need a lot more. you must have, you, you must have uh, seen quite a few things in, in our in our public hospitals, um, the the Gauteng Health Department saying deinstitutionalization of patients is the reason that they moved everyone out of, to these NGOs. I mean, give give me your thoughts on that. Is that even possible? Is that even is that even a, a good thought process? How do they get there? You see, the, the whole idea of deinstitutionalization is, is a worldwide uh, phenomenon. I mean, it was found that, uh, you know, mentally ill patients 
should not be put into an institution and just left there, you know, until uh, for the rest of their life, because you know it 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 has some positive impact, but it also has a lot of negative impacts in terms of when uh, you know that they uh, they do not benefit from it in the long term. However, you know, and and from you know we learn from what uh, other countries have done. They also went through the process of deinstitutionalization, and they also found or experienced some of the uh, consequences of institutionalization. And one of it is that if you take people out of these institutions, then we don't know where are they going to go, how are they going to be cared for adequately, and do we have the resources in the community to continue this care for them? And uh, perhaps. You know, I mean, in this in this case here, uh, in the case of South Africa or Kauteng here, we 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 are aware that there weren't adequate resources out there to do this deinstitutionalization process, perhaps right now or so quickly. And I think that was one of the one of the issues that might have resulted in uh, this working out so badly. But the process of deinstitutionalization is a good idea. Okay. Uh, it is not, uh, it is not appropriate. Dr. Musa, just before we let you go, and I'm sorry we've, we've had such a little time with you, um, but just before we let you go, you know, the NGO space, is, as in specifically in the health sector, has, has caught a bit of a bad name given uh, the headlines of last week. There are some NGOs, there are some interest groups doing uh, some really good things. We spoke about SADAG earlier uh, for, for people who are suffering with autism. Autism SA is very good. Uh, your thoughts on some other NGOs where people listening to the podcast who don't necessarily have the resources uh, for private health care, where would you send them? Uh, I mean, of course, it depends on, on the illness, but where could they get more information or where do they start? Uh, are you talking, I, I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Are you talking about the, uh, the existing ones or someone that wishes to start an NGO? No, no, the existing ones. If I'm, if I'm suffering from some of these mental illnesses, how do I find information on good practicing NGOs that are supporting in the sector? Um. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, uh, access to the NGOs is usually done, you know, I mean, uh, through the uh, Department of Social Development or the Department of Health. You know, a lot of these NGOs, which, you know, that are in the spotlight at the moment, they are what we call residential facilities. Uh, they provide, uh, you know, uh, care, hotel service, etc., for people with serious mental illness who can't cope at home. There are some very good NGOs, and they do a very good job, and they do take care of the patients very well. Uh, as regard to how do you access it, uh, you know, it's usually a referral by a healthcare facility based on the clinical assessment that the patient cannot be managed that they, by their families or, um, you know, cannot be in a hospital situation, then they need to be in a residential facility where they can learn uh, skills, rehabilitate and gain some form of independence so that they can eventually reintegrate into society. Now, access to that is usually, as I said, from the Department of Health because we make the referrals or uh, through the Department of Social Development. 
How, as a, a parent or a loved one of uh, someone who's suffering with mental illness, if you get admitted to a, a government hospital, how would you then tell whether whether or not these these uh, as you spoke about them? Just give me the word again. You said out uh, residential um, spaces. If once we admit a patient, let me just give an example. If, if we admit a patient into hospital, yes, and uh, after the you know after the initial assessment and the treatment, and the patient is now stable, and then we face with the situation where uh, maybe historically we send the patient back to the, to home, either the family cannot cope with him or he's not uh, well enough to live, you know, in, at home where there's no family to take care of him or he's you know, alone at home, then we would make a recommendation at that stage that we think they require what we call a uh, interim place before they can go back to home. And that's when we will then identify an NGO, one of the existing NGOs, and then make a recommendation or a application for that patient to be transferred to that facility. Okay, brilliant. Dr. Together with the family, discussion with the family, and you know, I mean, obviously we look to something which is close to the family so mm-hmm. that they can continue business and support that process. There is a problem in the, the problem at the moment is there aren't enough of those. Yes. Dr. Musa, I'm, I'm unfortunately running out of time here, so I'm going to have to cut you short there. But thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. That was uh, Dr. Yusuf Musa. He's a clinical psychiatrist and uh, very well known uh, within uh, the space. Uh, you've been listening to Frankly Speaking for one hour. We've been speaking about mental illness. I've got to thank all my guests, uh, Karabo Khaoleng. Uh, you can check her out on Twitter, Karabo Khaoleng. And listen, if you need help, if you need support, it is a scary thing to talk about. Go to sadag.org as a starting point. Just check out what they're doing very very cool stuff um, there's support groups you can start a support group and at least they can push you into a direction if you know if someone's suffering with this that'll help as well uh, you can check out some of the podcasts fascinating conversation with Karabo really opening up to what it's like to live with bipolar disease uh, I must thank her for her insights and we will see you again next week for now ciao ciao Central.com